It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud. The new web hosting plan from Bluehost, with 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am discussing the case of 25-year-old Jelani Day from Bloomington, Illinois. Jelani was last seen leaving the Beyond Hello dispensary around 9.20 a.m. on August 24, 2021. His body was later recovered an hour away in Peru, Illinois on September 4. Jelani's official cause of death is listed as drowning. Authorities are hesitant to say that foul play was involved in Jelani's death, but his friends, family, and many others are certain it was especially since Jelani was a black man found deceased in a city with a long history of racism. This is the case of Jelani Day. Jelani Jesse Javante Day was born on June 15, 1996 in Danville, Illinois, to his parents Carmen Bolden Day and Seve Day. Jelani was the second oldest of five siblings. He had two sisters and two brothers. Jelani has been described by his family as being extremely smart, athletic, compassionate, and driven. He ran track at Alabama A&M and graduated with a bachelor's degree in communicative sciences and disorders. But that wasn't enough for Jelani. Like I mentioned, he was extremely driven and aspired to one day be called Dr. Jelani Day. Jelani was actually inspired by a friend who was bullied for a speech problem he had when he was younger, and enrolled in a graduate program at Illinois State University in Normal, Illinois, with the goal of becoming a speech pathologist. This was a difficult program, but his friends and family had no doubt that Jelani would succeed just as he did in pretty much everything he put his mind to. So, Jelani signed a lease for an off-campus apartment in the neighboring city of Bloomington, Illinois, just a few miles from campus. And in the fall of 2021, Jelani began his first semester of the program. Before the end of August, Jelani received his first progress report, all A's and B's. It's important to note that Jelani was very close with his family. His new apartment in Bloomington was about an hour away from his hometown of Danville where his mother still lived, so he would visit often. When he wasn't physically able to be with his family, he would stay in almost constant contact with them. His mother Carmen would even joke and call Jelani her bill collector because they would speak pretty much every day. If he didn't speak with his mom, he was speaking with one of his four siblings. On top of just being close to his family, Jelani was regularly donating bone marrow to his father who had been diagnosed with cancer. So when Jelani's family stopped hearing from him, they knew immediately that something was wrong. 
Monday, August 23, 2021, is the last time Jelani would speak with his family. That day, he was in communication with his mother basically all day. He texted with her about money he was sending for his Aunt Ruby, and he called her saying that he just wanted to hear her voice. They ended up speaking before and after his class that day. According to Carmen, there was nothing unusual about their conversations. Jelani was also in contact with the Director of Clinical Education at Illinois State University, or ISU, Kara Boaster that day. Kara and Jelani planned to meet up the following morning to discuss his coursework, but Jelani didn't show. Kara would later tell NBC News, quote, When he didn't show up, I texted to see what was going on, and he didn't answer me. I knew he had class at 1 p.m., so I waited for him after class and he didn't show up, end quote. When she realized Jelani didn't make it to class, she immediately notified the ISU campus police. As of recording this episode, she's been at the university for 19 years. From what I could find online, she looks like a very dedicated educator who often goes above and beyond for her students. So it was no surprise to me that she took immediate action when she felt one of her students could be in danger. See, this was extremely out of the ordinary, not just for Jelani, but really any graduate student. Graduate programs are different than just your typical undergrad courses. Typically, these aren't super young people straight out of high school learning how to be good college students, just crossing their fingers they don't fail a class. Graduate programs are extremely tough to get into, especially Jelani's program, and it isn't cheap. So a graduate student missing class without notifying their professor is definitely more alarming than an undergrad student doing the same thing. According to a handbook I found for Jelani's specific program, if a student doesn't notify their professor of their absence, they may not qualify to make up any of the coursework that they missed or any test for credit. They'd automatically receive a zero. Now, from what I learned about Jelani, skipping class without notice and jeopardizing his grades like that just doesn't seem like something he'd do. And obviously, Kara Boaster, who actually knew Jelani, felt the exact same way. On Wednesday, August 25th, 2021, the ISU campus police notified Jelani's family that he was missing. Jelani's family repeatedly calls his cell phone, but all the calls go directly to voicemail. Jelani's mother, Carmen, made the trip to Bloomington that day to report her son missing to the Bloomington Police Department. Jelani's older brother accompanied Bloomington police officers to Jelani's apartment that same day. Nothing appeared to be disturbed or out of place. There were no signs of a break-in or struggle. And the only thing missing was Jelani's 2010 white Chrysler 300 and his personal items assumed to be with him, like his keys, cell phone, wallet, and school ID. At this point, Jelani's just gone, and no one knows where he could be or why on earth he wouldn't be in contact with anyone. Now, before I go any further, I want to take a step back and go over the timeline authorities were later able to piece together through surveillance video found of Jelani on the day he went missing. Again, we are talking about Tuesday, August 24th. Jelani is captured on surveillance at ISU's Bone Student Center at 7.20 a.m. In this video, Jelani is wearing a blue button-down dress shirt, black dress pants, black dress shoes, and a blue face mask. Jelani's bank card is used at the Starbucks at the Student Center that morning. Just after 9 a.m., Jelani is caught again on surveillance video. This time, he's about two miles away from campus at the Beyond Hello Cannabis Dispensary in Bloomington. And he's wearing a completely different outfit. In this video, he's seen wearing a blue Detroit Lions baseball cap, a black Jimi Hendrix t-shirt, white-slash-silver shorts, and black shoes with white soles. Jelani's car is also seen in the parking lot at this time. This is the last confirmed sighting of Jelani. And according to Carmen, this is where Jelani's phone last pinged around 9.20 a.m. According to the Day family's lawyer, Hallie Besner, literally everything goes dark after this sighting. There's no more cell phone activity, no more surveillance, no credit card charges, nothing. At 1 p.m., Jelani missed class, and as I discussed, that's when Kara reports him missing. 
but it wouldn't take long for the next major development in Jelani's case. On Thursday, August 26th, the day after he's reported missing, Jelani's car is found an hour away in the city of Peru, Illinois, a city his family says Jelani had never been to before. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. <coughs> Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. It's been about 24 hours since Jelani Day was reported missing to the Bloomington police by his family when officers an hour away in Peru, Illinois, make a huge discovery. At 4.20 p.m., officers from the Peru Police Department respond to a report of a vehicle in a wooded area south of the Illinois Valley YMCA, due north of the intersection of 12th Street and West Clocks Avenue. The vehicle's license plates had been removed. Eventually, officers do determine that it was Jelani's 2010 white Chrysler 300, but Jelani is nowhere to be found. His keys, wallet, cell phone, and his school lanyard with his school ID were also missing. Carmen states that there was no damage to the vehicle, and it was towed up a nearby hill and taken into police custody for testing. Officials took swabs of the steering wheel, the interior of the front driver's side door handle, and the interior of the front passenger side door handle. They also sent a blue straw from a styrofoam cup and a partially smoked cigar blunt found in the vehicle off for testing. As of recording this episode, the results of that testing have not been released to the public. They also found something extremely puzzling in the trunk of Jelani's car, the clothing he wore to the dispensary on the day he went missing. This means whatever Jelani was wearing after he left the dispensary in Bloomington is unknown at this point. After Jelani's car is discovered, a command post is established, and the search for Jelani begins. The search is led by the Illinois State Police. They use dogs, drones, and ground search teams to search for Jelani, but they don't find anything that night. On Friday, August 27th, the Peru police announce that Jelani is missing, and his car has been found. 
Around 4.30 p.m., Carmen gets a call from the sheriff, basically saying he's off for the weekend, but he'll come in or be in touch if anything of interest is found. So, Carmen puts together her own search team for the weekend. She posts to social media saying she doesn't really know how to conduct a search, but she begs her friends and family for help. They spend the weekend searching for Jelani near where his vehicle was found. On Monday, August 30th, Andrea Cavalier with NBC News publishes an article about Jelani, garnering him national attention almost immediately. Then, on Saturday, September 4th, authorities receive a tip that lead them to Jelani's body. He was found just before 10 a.m. along the south bank of the Illinois River, about two miles from where his car was found. Of course, at this time, he was still unidentified, but it was Jelani Day. He was found face down, wearing just a tank top and underwear. He also had a black sweatshirt tied around his waist. Unfortunately, Jelani's body was badly decomposed and even partly skeletonized. State police then collect DNA samples from Jelani's family and obtain Jelani's dental records for comparison. Carmen, who has been a huge driving force in her son's investigation, told the media that until she got proof it was Jelani, she was holding out hope that her son was still alive, and she urged authorities to continue looking for him. The testing took some time to confirm that it was without a doubt Jelani. While everyone was waiting for the results of the autopsy, Carmen continued to give interviews to help elevate Jelani's case. On September 20th, Carmen gave an interview to Newsy.com. In this interview, she drops a pretty big bombshell. She says that before this unidentified body was found, authorities were actually able to recover Jelani's wallet and lanyard. The last thing that I've heard is that um, prior to them finding the unidentified body, um, that Jelani's wallet was found. Um, it was found on some street. I'm not for sure exactly what the street was. Um, there was an individual whom I don't know whom this individual was that claims to have seen an individual drop the wallet. Um, someone wearing red shirt or red shorts is unsure of what this person was wearing. Um, but they didn't tell the police until, I don't know, several days after this wallet was found. Um, mm -hmm. There was a land, his lanyard with his uh, school ID was found um, close to the river where they found this unidentified body. Um, so we don't have a lot of information. The details are vague but we know that the wallet and lanyard were found in different areas, but not far from where Jelani and his car were found. The day after Carmen gives this interview, Jelani's case garners even more media attention when singer Lizzo shares a TikTok about the case. On September 23rd, Jelani's body is finally positively identified using DNA and dental records. At this time, officials conduct a press conference to announce their findings. On the same day, Carmen publicly states that she would really like the Illinois State Police to take over the case. But that doesn't happen, and two days later, a multi-jurisdictional unit is formed. Basically, a ton of agencies just begin working together. It's important to note here that around the same time, a pile of Jelani's clothing was found in Peru, Illinois by two women. I tried to find more information about this pile of clothing, but credible resources are pretty scarce. In one press conference, a reporter asked authorities about this pile of clothing and these two women, but they didn't comment on it. What we do know, according to Carmen, is that those two women have since retained legal counsel. Now, during this time, people were getting really upset. The police still weren't publicly discussing anything about foul play in Jelani's case, only really calling it odd up to this point. Here is a short clip from John Furman of the Bloomington Police Department. Just right off the bat was unusual. Um, do I want to say that, you know, it was foul play suspected? Uh, we don't know. It was just so unusual 
um, and somewhat suspicious that it, it just kind of piqued our interest of, hey, this is not normally how missing persons go. It was also during this time that the entire world seemed to be demanding answers for missing woman Gabby Petito. While Carmen expressed love for Gabby and her family, saying she knew exactly how it felt to be in her parents' position, she grew frustrated that Jelani's case wasn't receiving the same amount of media attention. Then, on September 27th, the town of Normal, where ISU is located, removed a painting of Jelani that was being used as the center of a memorial for him. The town told the public that although they'd removed the painting, they were working with ISU to explore options for sharing it on campus. A few days later, on October 4th, supporters of Jelani's case led a march on City Hall to express their concerns over the memorial being removed. Over the next few days and weeks, more information about Jelani's body was released. The LaSalle County coroner, Richard Plock, released a toxicology report showing Jelani used nicotine, caffeine, and marijuana before his death. All the levels were normal, indicating that none of the substances were being consumed in abnormal amounts. The same coroner would later determine that Jelani's cause of death was drowning, with no other apparent evidence of trauma before his death. Plock released the following statement, quote, Unfortunately, there is no specific positive test at autopsy for drowning. Although the examination was suboptimal based upon the degree of decomposition and predation activity while the body was within the river during a period of warm water, there was no evidence of anti-mortem injury, such as manual strangulation, an assault or altercation, sharp, blunt, or gunshot injury, infection, tumor, natural disease, congenital abnormality, or significant drug intoxication, end quote. Basically, it was just a process of elimination that made the coroner conclude that Jelani drowned. He added that they are still unsure as to how he entered the water. Two additional autopsies would be performed. Now, none of the three autopsies have been released to the public in full, but as far as I could find the two additional independent autopsies didn't produce any supplementary information to help us determine what happened to Jelani. Basically, with how badly decomposed Jelani's body was, no one could tell if Jelani had been harmed before his body entered the water. But the second autopsy did spark some controversy and misinformation that I would like to clear up. After the second autopsy, the Chicago Sun-Times ran an article saying that Jelani's organs, brain, and eyes were missing, and that his jawbone had been removed. Now, this is true. The Day family took to social media to say as much, but it was interpreted very badly. The public really kind of ran wild with speculation about how perhaps Jelani's organs were harvested, and how his body was mutilated. Jelani's family posted on the Justice for Jelani Day Facebook page, explaining that the Chicago Sun-Times article was accurate, but his organs were not harvested. They were told that his organs essentially were mush and liquefied due to the state of decomposition his body was in, and that some organs were removed as a part of the first autopsy. It was also explained that wildlife in the river most likely aided in some of the soft tissue, such as Jelani's eyes, being missing. And his jawbone? Well, that had also been apparently removed for testing. Journalist Andrea Cavalier from NBC News reached out directly to Coroner Richard Plock in an effort to clear up the rumors. In an email from Plock, he writes, quote, No organs were missing from the recovered body. Some of the body's organs and tissue were in a state of severe decomposition. End quote. USA Today also ran a fact check article stating the same thing in order to help correct the misinformation. Again, as of recording this episode, none of the three autopsies performed on Jelani Day have been fully released to the public. So all we can do is take the statements from officials and the Day family to determine what the truth is. But from all sides, it doesn't look like anything suspicious happened during these autopsies. And they are still very unsure about what happened to Jelani. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Jelani Day was buried in his hometown of Danville, Illinois. His funeral was attended by civil rights leader Reverend Jesse Jackson, who likens Jelani's death to that of Emmett Till, a 14-year-old black boy who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955. In October 2021, the Peru chief of police announced that he asked the FBI to take over Jelani's case, but they refused. Now, actually, both local law enforcement and the Day family have asked the FBI to take over the case, but they've yet to do so. However, they are reportedly consulting on the case through their behavioral analysis unit. Our next major break in the case comes in November. It's announced that Jelani's cell phone has been located. Unfortunately, the Day family wasn't told by police, but instead found out through social media. Here is Carmen explaining this discovery in an interview with Newsy.com. Well, from what I understand, um, the gentleman, um, he was going down the interstate and um, a mattress fell off the back of his truck. He got off the truck, out of, he stopped his truck to secure the mattress back on the truck. He found a phone. Um, he said that the phone had been shattered um, he ended up taking it to a kiosk at a Walmart because um, he said that the phone didn't work. Um, he took it to a kiosk at Walmart. He received $80 for the phone. Um, he did this on October 17th. Um, today is November the 11th. Um, I found out about the phone, that the phone had been found and had, had been identified as Jelani's phone on last, on early this morning, maybe about one or two o'clock this morning. Um, however, okay. um, the young man had let me know that he got questioned two days ago. So the police have been aware of this. They've known about the phone. Um, they've not made me aware. Um, according to Peru and Bloomington, the um, FBI is assisting and providing resources. Um, when I contacted them today, they um, told me that they didn't tell me about the phone because they wanted to be sure. Um, they then told me that they were going to look into Jelani's phone to see what was on there. I question why they would go through the phone and they instructed, and she said to me, Carmen, if you don't want us to go through the phone, let me know now and we'll turn it over to the FBI. And I told her that's what I prefer for her to do. So okay. if they can turn it over to the FBI and not mess with it, because at this point, um, I need the FBI involved. I need them to not provide oversight, not to be engaged, but to take over this case. On December 3rd, 2021, the Day family held a press conference alongside Jesse Jackson to announce that they have retained new legal counsel and are now being represented by renowned civil rights attorney Ben Crump. Ben Crump and his firm have previously worked with the families of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Andre Hill, Trayvon Martin, Ahmaud Arbery, Jacob Blake, and many more. He also investigated the murder of Tupac. In 2021, he was named by Time as one of the top 100 most influential people in the world. So it's a huge deal that Ben Crump is now working for Jelani. At this press conference, Carmen also announces that they are asking for Jelani's death to be investigated as a hate crime. That brings me to the biggest question in this case. What happened to Jelani Day? Of course, we know that the possibilities are seemingly endless in these cases. I mean, the craziest things can happen. But in terms of Jelani just drowning, that does seem very unlikely as he was extremely athletic and a great swimmer. Right now, it seems like the two prevailing theories are, one, that Jelani died by suicide, 
and two, that Jelani was met with foul play. First, let's discuss the theory that Jelani decided to take his own life that day. This is the theory that law enforcement has presented to the Day family. They theorize that Jelani could have decided to travel an hour away to Peru, a city he'd never been to, scattered his personal belongings throughout the area along the way, parked his car, walked a while away to closer to where his body was found, and somehow took his own life. However, Jelani's friends and family are adamant that Jelani had no history of suicidal ideations or depression. They've also pointed out that Jelani had future plans at school and with his family. One of the biggest things for me is that they also say he would never leave his father in his time of need. If you remember, Jelani was donating bone marrow to his father around the time that he lost his life. Authorities have proposed the idea that perhaps Jelani was just overwhelmed with his graduate program. Again, the family has fought back against this, saying that Jelani wasn't overwhelmed. He was excited and already excelling in the program. Carmen has also been very public about the fact that Jelani didn't have to worry about money for tuition or living expenses. In addition to pointing to Jelani's past behavior, future plans, and financial situation, his family argues that they have no idea why Jelani would have even been in Peru. This point is relevant for both theories. After searching through Jelani's phone records, they were unable to find any indication that Jelani had ever been to Peru, Illinois, or even knew anyone from Peru. Now, let's discuss the possibility that Jelani was met with foul play. This is the prevailing theory and the theory Jelani's family believes. Of course, this is a really overarching theory because the possibilities for foul play are vast. Was it a random act of murder, a planned abduction, a carjacking gone wrong? We just don't know. Reverend Jesse Jackson has pointed to the two women who found the pile of Jelani's clothing, stating that they knew Jelani personally, were in contact with Jelani before he went missing, and have since retained legal counsel. But many point to the city of Peru itself and its residents. The city of Peru, Illinois has a population of about 10,000 people. 95% of the residents are white, and only 0.04% of the population is black. Now, this is the line you read pretty much everywhere about Jelani's case but I wanted to dig deeper into this town and the claims that it is a sundown town. If you aren't familiar with the phrase sundown town, according to James Lowen, the author of Sundown Towns, A Hidden Dimension of American Racism, quote, sundown towns are towns that were for decades all white on purpose, end quote. Now, there are a lot of great in-depth resources on sundown towns, but to put it very simply, a sundown town is a city where black people and other minorities are not safe, especially after the sun goes down. I use the present tense because although it sounds like something horrific and a thing of the past, it's only the former. Sundown towns are unfortunately very real and still around today. In July 2021, BuzzFeed News published an article titled, quote, Sundown towns are still a problem for black drivers, end quote. In the article, they speak with 30-year-old hiker Marco Williams. Marco traveled from Maryland to Virginia in 2021. When he stopped for gas, he received a warning from the attendant, quote, You best not be here after dark. This is a sundown town, end quote. And this isn't just a one-off instance of small-town racism. In 2017, the NAACP literally issued a travel warning for the entire state of Missouri. So, no, sundown towns are in no way a thing of the past. Again, this is just a very brief overview. And I highly encourage you to do your own research on this topic, because it is incredibly important. This is a topic I really want to highlight on its own in the future but for now, let's focus on how this relates to Jelani. When I was researching the history of Peru, Illinois in relation to this topic, I found an article from the Chicago Tribune from 1889, so we are going way back. 
but it was right there on the front page of the newspaper, titled Many Miners Destitute. This article discusses how a local mine shut down, causing the miners to need financial support to keep their families fed. It highlights a local coal company that was offering a night shift paying its workers anywhere from $1.75 to $2.50 a day. However, the article explains that many of the town's residents were upset because the company planned on hiring 800 black people to work in the mine. The next segment of the article is titled Possible Trouble. Now, I'm going to read you a quote from this section of the article, but I want to warn you, with the article being from 1889, the language is obviously very outdated. Please know that my intention isn't to offend anyone, but to portray the reality of the history of racism in Peru, Illinois. Quote, The correspondent for the Tribune went to the office of Spring Valley Coal Company, but the rumor could not be either confirmed or denied. There are grounds for placing some confidence in the report, and if the Negroes do come, there will be trouble and, no doubt, rioting. For the miners of La Salle, Peru, and Spring Valley do not allow a Negro to come in their city limits. Troops or deputy sheriffs will have to be brought in to protect the Negroes, end quote. As of recording this episode, that was 133 years ago. However, we know that racism is systemic and often passed down through generations. So let's look at a modern-day examination of Peru. In an article from RampantMag.com, undergrad student at ISU Qatari interviewed Stephen Lazaroff, an abolitionist working on their PhD in English at ISU. Both Qatari and Stephen marched for Jelani through Peru, Illinois. Qatari states that they were essentially met with silence as they marched through the neighborhoods. Stevens stated, quote, Yes, the people were non-existent, and full neighborhoods of houses and tended to lawns. They clearly have people living in them. It was like a stunt town. They were nowhere. It was like everybody in town decided to not show up for one day, end quote. In addition to the residents just not participating in this march, Qatari highlights something even more disturbing. They state that some of the residents they did see were giving them the middle finger, and some were using white power signs. Stephen Lazaroff stated, quote, We've heard that Peru was a sundown town, but something I've wondered is, is it still? And what would a 21st century sundown town be like? So I asked a marcher, who I heard identify themselves as from Peru, is Peru still a sundown town? And he said, no. But if I wasn't white, my life would be goddamn miserable. End quote. So given all of this, the long-standing history of racism in Peru, I don't think we can rule out that if Jelani was met with foul play in Peru, it could have been racially motivated. Now, as much as I just don't enjoy comparing cases to each other, we do need to talk about Gabby Petito and how the media coverage of her case affected Jelani's. Again, Carmen has stated several times that she has nothing but love for Gabby and her family, and obviously understands what it's like to have a missing child. But the truth is, Jelani's case was quickly overshadowed by the media coverage of Gabby's. In one news report about Jelani, they even literally showed a picture of Gabby Petito instead of Jelani. Honestly, I do think it's safe to say that every case in the world became overshadowed by Gabby Petito's when she went missing. For Carmen, it wasn't that Gabby didn't deserve the attention or resources, but as a mother, as Jelani's biggest advocate, she was left asking why the world didn't move the mountains they moved for Gabby for Jelani too. It's a fair question, but I think we all know the cold, hard truth of the situation. It's not just an assumption. We know that although Black people go missing and are murdered at terrifying rates compared to white women, they just don't receive the same media attention or resources from law enforcement. We saw a similar sentiment in the Daniel Robinson case, who went missing around the same time as Gabby and Jelani. In both Daniel and Jelani's cases, law enforcement has essentially snubbed the families in one fashion or another. Now, I never covered Gabby's case, but since it was everywhere, it was really hard to ignore. 
and I didn't see anything like that. I mean, just take a second to imagine if Gabby's family came out and said that the weekend after Gabby was reported missing, the chief of police clocked out at 4.30 and took the weekend off. People would have lost their minds. Even Gabby Petito's parents begged the public and media to pay attention to other cases. I've said it before, and I will say it again. Gabby Petito did nothing wrong. Her parents did nothing wrong. In a perfect, fair world, every single case would receive the media coverage and resources that Gabby's did. But the world isn't perfect, and it definitely isn't fair. In my opinion, Gabby's case was a glaring testament to that. But it did spark a much-needed conversation about these issues. Since Jelani went missing and was later found, many celebrities have helped bring attention to his case including Lizzo, Viola Davis, and Rosanna Arquette. The rapper Offset even offered to pay for Jelani's funeral. But Jelani's biggest advocate has always been and continues to be his mother, Carmen. Instead of trying to sum up all of her frustrations and speak for her, I'd like to play you a clip from that December 3rd press conference. I thank Reverend Jackson and the Rainbow Bush Coalition. I thank Attorney Crump and his associates that are helping me on today. I stand before you today because we do not know what happened to Jelani. As they've already stated, it's been over 100 days, and so that's been too long for me. As I've told the world, I know I'm not the first mother that has lost a child, but when you lose your child and you don't know why, you don't know what happened, you don't know what for a real reason, I don't know how you cannot stop insisting that the people who have made pledges to protect and serve find the answers for you. I know that they're not magicians, but my son went missing. The last day he was seen was August 24th of 2021. I filed a missing persons report on August 25th. His body, the body that was found, was found on September 4th. It wasn't until September 23rd that they identified this body as my son. On that day, they wanted me to accept that they now could identify him by dentals when they told me that they couldn't. They wanted me to accept that they had DNA answers when they told me it would take a, up to a month for them to get that answer, and it wasn't even, it wasn't even a month. So now, I'm asking them, I'm imploring them, I'm begging them, I need to know what happened to my son. I had to do my own investigation work. I had to watch on TV this young white girl who went missing, who parents hadn't talked to her for over two weeks. And so they began to be worried about their daughter. And I empathized with them because I knew what it felt like to be missing your child. But I hadn't talked to my son for one day. One day, and I reported him missing, and it was crickets. Hmm. I wasn't getting any help. I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the ability to have people out there searching for my child. I didn't have all the, the drones. I didn't have all the police officers. I didn't have all of that. I still don't have that. It was me and my children who took on the task of going to stores, of going to gas stations and watching surveillance tapes and calling the detectives and asking them, have you checked this area? Can you come and get this videotape because we seen Jelani's car here? Why did I have to do that? It was me who had to keep calling Peru to ask them what were they doing. It was me who had to organize the search that found that body. It was me that done that. I have not been given any kind of 
grace with just having the consideration of saying, yes, Carmen, we're looking for your son. So now we know that Jelani's car was found in Peru, which was 60 miles from where he went to school. We know that his wallet was found in Peru. We know that his lanyard was found in Peru. We know that 20 days after the body that they identified as him, that clothing was found by two young white girls who thought that they wanted to be detectives and come to this area and question as to what the police didn't do, and they found clothing, and they've now lawyered up. I can't even thank them for helping us find the clothing because they found lawyers. They've got lawyers. They don't want to be spoken to. And why? It's my son that's missing. It's my son that I want to know why his clothes wasn't found on that day. Why it took 20 days for somebody, these young white girls, these young white ISU students, to come and find his clothing. I want to know why his car was moved and I had to find out about that on social media. I want to know why when his phone was found, they had already knew about it and they still don't know any answers. I need the FBI to come in and to take over because these local jurisdictions have shown us that they have not made this a priority. They have not made Jelani a priority that they started their investigation per them, and this is their quote, we're gonna start back over on day one, and that was on September 24th. We've lost a whole month, and you wanna start at day one? Day one since I've been pleading for help, since I've been asking, since I've been giving you things and giving you information that wasn't followed up, that wasn't taken seriously. I need answers about what happened to my child. Jelani was important. Jelani is missed. I wake up every day having to deal with the fact that I cannot talk to my son. Jelani called me all the time. He talked to me all the time. And now I can't talk to him because somebody thought it was a good idea to take him from us. And I want answers. I don't accept suicide. Jelani was not depressed. He was not overburdened. I read somewhere where they said that he took his life because he was in grad school and it was a financial burden for us. I have five college graduates. I have four of them that are currently, including Jelani, that were in grad school. We were not financially burdened for anything because my children are smart enough, they're educated enough, and we were well enough to, for them to go to school. So those were not issues for Jelani. Jelani had none of those. Jelani wasn't selling drugs. Jelani wasn't into anything. As they told you, Jelani was the best of the best. Jelani wouldn't have hurt nobody. So whoever did this to him on that day, you will answer for this. I just want the world to know my son did not commit suicide. I will not stand here and I will never accept that that's what happened to him. Somebody did this to him, and somebody knows something. Somebody's seen something, and I need somebody to say something. This brings me right to our call to action. No matter what you think happened to Jelani Day, his family deserves answers. I have to believe someone out there saw something. Maybe it was Jelani leaving the dispensary or going somewhere to change his clothes. Maybe it was his white Chrysler in Peru that day. I mean, Jelani Day was extremely handsome and literally six foot two. Someone saw something. As of recording this episode, there have been no suspects named in the case, and Jelani's license plates and car keys are still missing. So if you are in the Peru, Illinois area, 
please be on the lookout for those. Of course, something else you can do to help is just please share his story. Please share his picture and his last known whereabouts. His family has asked that when you do share his story to please use the hashtag what happened to Jelani Day. That being said, I really do want to encourage you all to follow his family on the Justice for Jelani Day Facebook page. Jelani's case is still pretty new, and I imagine that there will be several updates in the future and possible calls to action directly from his family. Other than that, if you are able to give, I do know that the family has a GoFundMe for ongoing expenses. As always, all of that will be linked for you in the episode description and on my website. As a reminder, Jelani Day went missing from Bloomington, Illinois on August 24th, 2021. He was last seen leaving the Beyond Hello dispensary around 9.20 a.m., wearing a blue Detroit Lions baseball cap, a black Jimi Hendrix t-shirt, white-slash-silver shorts, and black shoes with white soles. He was driving a white 2010 Chrysler 300. His body was later recovered from the Illinois River in Peru on September 4th. Jelani Day was 25 years old when he lost his life. He was 6 foot 2 inches tall, weighed 180 pounds, and had black hair and brown eyes. There is currently a $25,000 reward being offered by Jelani's family and a $10,000 reward being offered by the FBI for information leading to a resolution in the case. Anyone with information about Jelani's disappearance or death is urged to contact their local FBI office or submit an anonymous tip online at tips.fbi.gov. But as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. This episode of Voices for Justice was hosted, written, and produced by me, Sarah Turney, with research assistance from Lena Gugaluk. For more information about how you can help Jelani's case or to see the resources used to create this episode, visit VoicesForJusticePodcast.com. Please take a moment to subscribe or follow Voices for Justice in your podcast player. This will help more people find the show and hear these cases so desperately in need of justice. As we know, it only takes one person with the right information to come forward and help solve these cases. Thank you. Welcome to the Voices for Justice Secret After Show. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, and I posted a little on social media, but I wanted to put it formally in the podcast. Unfortunately, I did have COVID. I told you guys in a past, oh, you can hear the puppies. I told you guys in a uh, past after show that I was feeling a little sick and I was going to test myself and get tested, and yep, I had COVID. I feel very fortunate that my symptoms were for the most part pretty mild. There were some scary days, I'm not going to lie, and it obviously affected how much I could work. For me, honestly, the biggest thing was the brain fog. I felt like I could only work a few hours a day before I just needed to lay down and do absolutely nothing for the day. And on top of that, while I was sick, something else happened. Like, right in the midst of everything, um, my dog, our unofficial anti-mascot popcorn who hates podcasting, got really sick. He woke me up at like 4am and I thought it was a normal middle-of-the-night potty break, which does sometimes happen. But he just started throwing up and he didn't stop throwing up. So he did end up having to go to an emergency vet hospital. And what happened from there was just even scarier. At first, they weren't really sure what was wrong. They wanted to keep him overnight, they did x-rays, and they thought that he might have had something seriously wrong with his liver. But then they called me and said that they really wanted to have a specialist come in and do an abdominal 
uh, abdominal ultrasound is what it was. And uh, they realized that there was something in his stomach and they called me and they said, listen, um, if he doesn't get surgery tonight, he's going to die. Um, but the kicker was they didn't have a surgeon on staff. So here I am at like 9 p.m. at night, sick at my house. You know, I'm trying not to to leave or do anything like that. So I'm calling around trying to get people that can actually transport popcorn. Um, all the while, they don't have a surgeon on staff. But they were calling during that time. It took a while. But, you know, eventually they were like, listen, this hospital can take him. He needs to go now. So Popcorn did get to the other hospital. He had emergency surgery at like 2 a.m. And by 4 a.m., I got the call that everything went well. It looked like Popcorn got into the bathroom trash and got some stuff that really got tangled up in his stomach. I cannot feel worse. I feel so guilty. I feel so bad. I don't really know exactly what he got into. I don't know how he got into it. That's never happened before. Popcorn is nine years old and he's never had any issues like this. But at the end of the day, he was fine. But I also had to, uh, again, while I'm sick with COVID, Popcorn comes home from the hospital. And Popcorn, if you guys know, um, is a very active, rambunctious dog. He's very fun. He likes to jump up on everything. And he wasn't allowed to do any of that. Not to mention, when I did get him back, he did have some issues that first day. So there was, you know, uh, he needed extra medication. He needed this. He needed that. It, it, it wasn't good. It was really scary. I actually broke out in hives because of the stress, again, on top of being sick. It was like the worst. Uh, I, I think I said on social media, when it rains, it pours. And my gosh, it was it was just so bad. But everything's fine now. I'm feeling better. Popcorn is healing up just great. He will get his staples taken out of his belly. It's so sad. He has this huge cut on his belly. But he will get the staples taken out, um, I think, in about a week. So yeah, that is the very long-winded story about how my life just kind of exploded and um, I just needed to skip an episode and I needed more time for this episode, so thank you for your patience. I'm not trying to give excuses, but I think you guys deserve to know why the episodes weren't out on time. Now, let's talk more about Jelani's episode. Um, it, in addition to everything going on, I knew that this one would be... Um, a harder one to cover. Uh, there's been a lot of misinformation. There aren't, uh, like, the things I had to track down, a lot of it came from Carmen. I was listening to a lot of interviews with police, with Carmen, all these press conferences, and that's really where a lot of this information came from. So it was really, it was hard to track down. It's a hard case to cover. I want to be sensitive to all the topics involved as a white person talking about racism. I, I want to be a good ally and I want to do it right. So I really hope that I did that in this episode. Now, I do want to give a shout out here to Andrea Cavalier from NBC News. Um, I do know her personally. She's covered Alyssa's case in the past, and she covers many of the cases I discuss here on the podcast. Recently, she reached out to me about covering the Adam Castillo case. But I did just want to give her a shout out because it looks like she was pretty much the first person to break this case in national news. Also, I really give her props for tracking down the coroner, Richard Plock, and getting those answers via email when everything was really sensational at that time. Everything was about how Jelani's organs were missing. And it seems like everyone was really leading with that headline because it, it got a lot of clicks. So I really appreciate her tracking down the real answers and getting the truth. Now, I also want to give a big shout out to the, uh, it's WGLT.org. It's NPR from Illinois State University. They put out a ton of great articles, very factual, very informative um, about this case. And it's all nonprofit journalism, which I think is awesome. Um, so that you know, I, I think it's easier when it's a nonprofit journalist to know that there's probably less bias there. Um, they also filed a bunch of FOIAs, apparently, to get some of this info. So so uh, again, just, just giving credit where credit is due. I love to see stuff like that. Also, um, I did want to highlight, if you guys caught it, if you don't fast forward, I know you guys, you guys never fast forward through the credits, I know. But in case you maybe did, um, for the first time ever, 
this episode had an additional person working on it, uh, Miss Lena Gukaluk, which uh, it, she's an amazing gal. And um, I will actually have an interview over on my Patreon explaining how me and Lena met because it's a it's a it's a pretty cool story. Um, I met Lena when she was just a teenager when I worked with kids in foster care, and she is an amazing human being. I am so proud of her. I have watched her grow up. Um, I remember telling her uh, when she was just in high school, I said, Lena, I'm pretty sure one day I'm going to be working for you. Um, and to be honest, a long time ago, um, I really, really wanted to hire Lena for another true crime project, and it just didn't work out. So I reached out to her and I said, hey, once I can, once I can hire somebody for Voices for Justice, you will hear from me. I'm going to come back to you. I, I want to employ you. I think you're an amazing human being who cares a lot. Um, so yeah, that was really exciting. She did um, research assistance on this episode, helped me get some of the facts straight. And yeah, so uh, if you are a Patreon member, look out for that in your feed, uh, hopefully coming pretty soon. But I do think that those are all the updates I have for you. Um, again, thank you so much for being patient. Life happened to me hard in the month of January slash the first week of February. It has been quite a time. And the timing couldn't be worse, right? Uh, the trial is upcoming and yeah, there's just a lot of life happening right now. So I really do appreciate the grace you guys have given me. But as always, thank you for tolerating me. I love you and I'll talk to you next time.